Hello, and welcome to Manga Explaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who haven't read much manga before. Hosted by Deb Aoki, David Brothers, Chip Zdarsky, and myself, Christopher Witcher Butcher, you can follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com or our publishing endeavor, publishing experiment, <laughs> fun thing that we're doing at mangasplainingextra.com. This is the first time I have done that entire intro without reading the text. It is burned into my brain. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. This week, I'm hosting. Hi, I'm Christopher. And we are doing Massive, which is a book and not just a concept. Gay Erotic Manga and the Men Who Make It, published by Fantagraphics many a year ago, and now just recently re-released in its third edition, which is pretty much identical to the first, so don't worry too much. It has a unique publishing history, and let us play all at it. It is edited by Anne Ishii, Chip Kidd, and Graham Colbanes, and features a murderer's row, let's say, of <laughs> gay mangaka creators, including Gengoro Tagame, Inuyoshi, Kumara Pusuke, Takeshi Matsu, Jiraiya, Gai Mizuki, Fumi Miyabi, Seizo Ebisubashi, and Kazuhiri Ichikawa, our good friend, actually, who on our publishing endeavor we published a manga by him and there's another one coming up in the next little while Ooh. so pretty exciting so this is a manga and i normally i would just go to the team and be like all right tell us what you thought but we got to give it some context because this is porn like there's no getting around this <laughs> there's no like pretending but at the same time it is also a really important book of porn manga <laughs> that has been released. And the three separate introductions to this volume, one by each editor, Chip, Anne, and Graham, will hopefully illuminate for our readership, if they're reading along at home, just why this is important and what it's trying to do. This is the second piece of gay manga created by gay manga creators, second sort of book of it. That was released. The first was Passion of Gengaro Tagami, which was published by Picture Box and then reprinted a few years after that. This is an overview. It has essays. It has interviews with each creator that sort of introduce them and their work before we get to their work. It has a history of gay manga in the back. And all of the introductions offer a different perspective on what this book is and why it's important. A couple of things stood out to me while reading those. And it sort of recontextualized this book, rereading it even, you know. I guess seven years later, eight years later now. Now that I've given you an introduction, I've, basically, we hadn't had a lot of gay manga in English. Uh, what we did have was mostly, well, pirated. It was it was it was scanlated. It was it was it was pirated. So a lot of work by you know queer people was no one was making money off of it. Particularly not the queer people who really needed to. Let's be honest. Yeah, this was a really huge book when it was released it was sort of a shots fired situation of what fanographics was willing to publish under their own name rather their rather than their manga porn imprint manga erotica back in the day it, it made for a big deal which was really really nice many years later i'm curious about its legacy i'm curious to see how someone reading it for the first time in 2022 and not 2014 i think or 2015 would would take the material that's in here and i'm curious to to hear what our manga explaining co-hosts have to say so i'm not going to put anyone on the spot this week i'm going to let someone volunteer to go first and we'll see who is truly the most magnanimous and generous of the co-hosts that would like to offer their opinion on this particular title wow oh then i think christopher should go first because he's truly the most magnanimous <laughs> and generous of the co-hosts <laughs> 
I have set the tone already. <laughs> I will go first by saying that I have the physical from when it was printed. And I got the digital because it's just so much easier to do show notes from the digital than it is from like taking, snapping photos of the inside <laughs> of my book to put up on the blog. Yeah. And the digital's in the wrong orientation. It is a right to left book, but the digital, you have to sort of scroll forward by reading the American orientation. So I'm not 100% sure what's up behind that particular decision, at least for the Kindle edition. It might be different for iBooks or something no, like that. No, no, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was a little confusing for me at first when I sat down to reread it from the digital again. And I was like, no, this, this is. I actually went and grabbed my copy from the shop. I'm like, this is a right-to-left book. So if anyone who's reading along at home is a little bit confused, now you know. Although I will say that they do a pretty good job of keeping each page a discrete unit with no spreads or things continuing across the, the center gutter. So it's not too bad. But if anyone from FAN is listening and you want to you know, poke people to uh, reverse the reading order on this, I'd sure as heck appreciate it, as I'm sure many fans would as well. I was confused, I gotta say. Yeah. Especially when yeah. it came to like the four panel one. I was like, wait, what order would I read this yeah. in? Yeah. Yeah. The, the young comma in particular was a little bit confusing. Luckily, with most pornographic comics, there just aren't a lot of panels on the page, so you can't get too lost most of the time. It's not like a <laughs> yeah. really dense, complicated layout. It's like two to four panels, but the young comma in particular, the four panel comics were were difficult. And Deb, you spoke up first, so I guess I got to put you on the spot now. <laughs> Deb, what did you think of Massive? Well, you know, now I kind of understand why you were complaining and why you noticed there were no dicks in <laughs> Birds of Shangri-La and like, like, it, like it was so obvious to you that there were no dicks. This hmm. is all the dicks that you could ever want. <laughs> are in this book and then more. And some you don't want. There's like, there's a little bit of that too. But yeah. 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 <laughs> They're lovingly drawn in all different sizes. They're circumcised, uncircumcised. They've got veins. It's like, <laughs> ah, okay. We are in a different part of the store, aren't we? <laughs> there was a one that was just covered in bumps. That's actually the Yakuza. There's like a oh, like that's a, a thing where you put Yakuza implants. thing that Yakuza dudes will like cut incisions into their dick and put pearls in between like the outer skin and their like dick to make it more ridged and it's like a yakuza thing we'll put in the show notes i'm wow. not just making this up oh my god what if bruce wayne's dad w was in the yakuza and those were the pearls <laughs> oh, no. that went flying oh my god you've already been fired <laughs> well, from batman shot you're only like dick. three minutes in or seven minutes in <laughs> <laughs> is that the oh, next man. batman arc <laughs> oh Check. maybe yeah for those listening along at home this is a not safe for work episode <laughs> and also <laughs> yeah we just talked about general mutilation here we go here we go this is an episode yeah this one has a lot of dicks deb you were correct any other <laughs> takeaways <laughs> i i enjoyed there's some that i enjoyed more now than i did when i first read this book the one about I don't, sometimes I feel like I can tell when Annie she does it in translation because she's hilarious. Mm. Like the one was the it was Dreams of the New Century Theater. Yeah. yeah, the one where the page one hundred one where she says you wouldn't know it from looking at my but my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard, and then they goes <laughs> and the other one says milk duds. And he goes and then the you know the hero of this the main character says I could fit a milk bottle in sideways. <laughs> And then there's a side note saying manhole. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. It just keeps yeah. it just keeps hitting you with these like, wow, okay. Localization works, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Humor's hard to translate. I think she did a great job on this the humor stories for sure. I really like that one. I like this the 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 second kind of longer story. 
in there about the entranced coworker. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah <where> he's like, <laughs> oh my god! Kept, kept fucking him. <laughs> I was, I, was oh, yeah. I really liked that. That's when, that's when the art style actually really worked for me. Like the, the first kind of series of gag strips. Like, oh yeah, these are okay. But then, like, just a look on that guy's face and those eyes. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, this is, this is great. <laughs> just, just when he goes sh- into the the sex trance. Yeah, that was. Yeah, because he's so soft and like pliable and like kind of well as we were talking about before the episode started mushy before he gets into that spot <laughs> yeah and then all of a sudden it's like a transformation that is fantastic i don't know what we're going to do about the show notes for this episode actually <laughs> i think we're gonna like we're not running sensor bars you can do no come on you can do you can make a melange of different types of sensory just use the <laughs> icon of chip's head oh yeah <laughs> yeah there you like, go. it's like golden kamui just the- mm, yeah. <laughs> perfect exactly like golden kamui <laughs> Let's do it. Let's we can do mix it. it up perch after. Yeah. Or for our superhero readers, Hawkeye. Oh, yeah. right. Hawkeye did that too. Yeah. With the little that's Hawkeye so head. Oh, that's awesome. Are there superhero listeners? I mean, have they not converted yet? Like we've converted you? or Is it a conversion <laughs> thing or an addition thing? Oh. Uh, wow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sound off in the comments, folks. <laughs> that's very magnanimous of you, Jimmy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I interrupted Deb by commenting. No, no, no. That was trips. perfect. That was perfect. No, it's just funny. It's like this. Like I, for me, I was kind of like the difference between boys' love and hentai manga is the amount of fluids. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, is that a guy thing? Like fluids? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like yeah, I had a similar thought. Yeah. Do tell. <laughs> I was surprised how much this is like straight porn. In terms of mm. like the angles and and I say this in like as loving a way as I possibly can, like how dumb the characters are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because like every story was someone just getting like, you know, drunk on sex or submitting in a certain way. And I was like, this these are the same drawings I've been seeing like since I was a kid, like creeping onto the internet, you know, typing yeah. things into Google. The one that first made me think of this was actually in the first story of Soldiers. I think it was the mm. Tagami story mm-hmm. where he has yeah. to lick the guy's boot. Mm. And yeah. the drawing of him with his tongue out licking the boot for the very first time, like he's like struggling over it. I'm mm. pretty sure is the same as like the staging from Helsing, Kota Hirano's vampire oh. versus Nazis epic. When the main character, Sarah's Victoria, has to basically drink a vampire's blood. And it's another kind of like very horny drawing of a tongue and Hirano used to do or possibly still does porn comics so they're like his storytelling is very informed by that Mm -hmm. so reading this I was like oh like I speak this language it's just not my particular kink (laughs) (laughs) and because the way like so this whole season I've just been like not reading anything about the books before we read them and just going on your recommendations uh, all three of your recommendations Mm -hmm. So I didn't really know what to expect because you were like, oh, man, it's going to be like really hardcore and like it might be too much for you guys. So I was expecting like Arrow Guru and like people being like pulled apart and stuff. But this mm. was just like a bunch of really horny stories of very specific kinks. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think that this is like in that. I mean, I have so much more to say, but in that specific yeah. instance, I can tell you that the POW camp story goes that direction for sure. Mm. Like this mm. is like the first chapter where it's like it's already introducing like bootlicking water sports and like 
you know. Yeah, I mean, honestly, the POW like part is really one. heavy already. Oh, yeah. 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 And it's like a big part. This is not the only story where Tagami has dipped into that well either. Yeah. But where, do, where, so, yeah, does it, it where does it direction. go then? Like, I'm actually curious with that story. Like, it's the the character who is who is being at the beginning of being dehumanized mm-hmm. is let's say fully dehumanized and then parts of him are amputated. Mm. Whoa. Yeah. I not in this personally, book. It's still a... I don't find that sexy at all. <laughs> I don't mean to sound like a prude. There's a really good interview with Tagame. I think I can't remember who it was. And if it was me, then this is just the loudest clang of all time. But it was like, have you ever drawn anything that was so disturbing that even you couldn't deal with it? And he's like, oh, yeah, all the time. I'll draw something and I'll be looking at like, I, I can't even look at that. And I'll put it in a drawer and then I'll come back to it in a couple of weeks and I'll be fine. And then I'll put it in the book and publish I love it. <laughs> that it's the can God make a rock so big even he couldn't lift it question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> the answer is not at first but he works up to it and then yeah you're okay. well that's 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 interesting then so tagame so does he does he write and draw these stories for erotic reasons or for story reasons and the erotic Both. is kind of part of it because like if he's doing something that's so disturbing he can't look at it, then I'm just like, well, okay, well clearly he's not just like this is my thing, like <laughs> amputation's my thing, but like but obviously, there's like a dynamic here between the, the prisoners of war and the the Americans. Like, there's a story there, but yeah, and the story continues and is really actually powerful and like interestingly told, especially from a Japanese dude who's doing the story. Yeah. But it's a little bit. It's why. Hmm. You know what? I'm just gonna go on a limb. I think that's why this is erotica in a lot of ways and not porn because if it was just about porn. It would just be a collection of like. Mm filthy drawings designed to titillate but it really is about the story and creating these like mm. these this tension these different ideas that are expressed that are more than maybe even would be considered erotic but that's part of it is that like yeah. you're you're pushing at the boundaries of and his whole thing is pushing at the boundaries of what is or isn't acceptable mm. it's funny too because like after this book came out the next book from an american publisher there was a couple of german english language books but the next book from an american publisher was his like friendly all ages story about being a gay guy coming out in Japan. <laughs> and it's just like the, like completely the opposite of his regular work. But yeah, he dives into really deep stuff psychologically. There's a lot of Japanese historical stuff that's pretty messed up. Uh, <laughs> frankly, there's a lot of contemporary stuff. There's different periods in history and how people were subjugated or not. And yeah, yeah, it's all that's, I think that's what makes it erotica. Like I said, born pretty cavalierly at the beginning, because I think that for a lot of people, this is that, but it's also literary. Like if it wasn't, I don't think Chip Ann and Graham would have been like leaping on it. And the characters are dumb because that's part of it. You know what I mean? It's like the Takeshi Matsu story where he's like, get only gets turned on by drawing people. And then at the end, he's finally turned on by a real person in real life. And he's like ashamed of himself. He has to be dumb like that. He has to be this like himbo character who's like muscly and whatever and whatever. And that's kind of like, that's kind of part of it. There has to be more than just sexy drawings. Although some people just, you know, some some Japanese game manga creators do put out like illustration collections and things like that because for them the illustration is enough. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of the dudes that are in here, it is really about the kink. It's the stuff that isn't necessarily just physical or just sexual. It's like the interaction. Yeah. It's interesting because for me, erotica is essentially just like pornography with a story that kind of weaves. Mm through the pornography 
mm. or like yeah. ties it all together. Yeah. But the mm-hmm. Tagami story, like just based on what you're saying, feels like it's not even erotica. Like if it's, if he's at some point, oh no, it's that too. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, they're, they're obviously you ask him if he thinks that this is hot. He absolutely does. Yeah, he yeah, but like, hot. but when it goes past that point, yeah, it's like. I don't know. It's taking a story to its logical conclusion. Yeah. I mean, the the essays are really helpful to read in that respect because, like, in his essay, he goes, what is a military? A military is a group of people who go to war. And what is war? It's insanity. It's about going mad. It's about madness. Murder is a sin, of course. But in war, murder is a virtue. You're supposed to kill everybody. In the military, everything is determined by strength and power. And that's incredibly sadomasochistic. Yeah. So there's a... I mean, he's... I, you know, he's thinking about this. Yeah, he's yeah. put a lot of <laughs> yeah, thought clearly. into it. And so he's not just doing it just for shits and giggles. But he, and I've met him and talked with him, and I, I find him to be just this incredibly smart and thoughtful man who also radiates kind of this interesting aura. Mm. Like he's very self-assured, but he he's mm-hmm. not boastful. He just kind of like radiates this kind of like, I know what I'm doing, people, and I don't have to apologize for it. But he's also mm. really funny about it too. It's like, what was it? The quote says, when he was asked how much sex in his manga he's actually experienced, his deadpan reply was about thirty percent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I find it really fascinating because he's he does this really intense S and M stuff, and yet he's such a charming and interesting man. Mm. Not that you know those are incompatible things, but it's like whoa! Like I like I read Passion of Gengo and Takami. I think I've read it once. Mm. Yeah, you kind of don't always want to go back. to It's that a one. really oh. intense book. <laughs> Is it like a Requiem for a Dream sort of thing, where you, like you get it once and that's all you need for like life <laughs> forever? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people go back to it pretty regularly mm. because it matches up with what their kinks are, right? Yeah, it's it's. Yeah, but there's a reason why he was chosen, I think, to be translated first. And I think it's that he's his work, his artwork is the most, I don't know, in this context, I want to say accomplished, I think, in a lot of ways. I think that he's like able to draw, you know, people, places, situations and things. This is actually a pretty old work in terms of like the overall standard of his stuff. But I think also he's had the longest career. He's like the first out, one of the first out gay mangaka making making gay manga. Uh, he co-founded the magazine that you see in, throughout this throughout this book. You see covers of G-Men magazine. He co-founded that. It was like the first, one of the first gay manga magazines and one of the people to to work consistently and to allow his face to be shown, that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, there's a reason he kicks off this book because I think everyone else in this book points to him as the, the guy that they, that inspired them to start making the manga that they make. And Tagami is actually really good about pointing back to people like his historical precedents you know the people that have made gay erotica in japan before he got to the, got there as well yeah so and then to loosen it up then it goes to inuyoshi which is um, like and now something kind of sweet and soft and squishy kind of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice mix i gotta say but it's it's, it's yeah they, they put a you know like how the beatles would put out records and they would had were very thoughtful about the order they put the songs i mm-hmm. think there's a certain thoughtfulness to the order and the mix of s- stories here yeah. And I think the including the interviews before each one really gives you a chance to catch your breath from whatever happened in the previous story, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, if you're not reading them, it gives you like eight pages to flip through so that your mind clears a little <laughs> bit before you start the next one. Get to wipe yourself off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got a dissenting opinion on the interviews, actually. Mm. Tell me about that. 
I've been trying to think of how to phrase it so that it's not like I wish this book was completely different. But I liked all <laughs> of the comic parts, but I didn't like all of the interview and essay parts necessarily. Mm. Like I was trying to, you know, figure out what the book is as I was reading it. And like going from Chip Kid's interview or intro to Anne Ishii's was a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Because Chip's kind of like tee about the book. And then Ishii is kind of about like scanlation and production, which is yeah. related and relevant, but didn't immediately seem like immediately relevant, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I think Graham's was the historical one. Yeah, yeah, that's the one that made the most sense to me in terms of like, what is this book going to be? And no. then the fact that all of the artist interviews were kind of, they asked a lot of the same questions. Oh. Like, I get what they were going for, but I sort of wish that there was more questions about the work in the book as opposed mm. to the context around the work. And it seemed weird to say, mm. like, oh, give me less context. But the, like, the, the way they introduced the artist in the very beginning, like, the, the title page spreads from, like, page, I don't know, 12 through 20-something with the yeah. uh, portraits. Those are super cool. But you never really get into the, say, the significance of a guy with a Yakuza tattoo with Jesus Christ crucified on the back with, like, storm clouds behind him. Or the very, where's the Street Fighter guy? I think it was Takeshi Matsu. Mm. Like, his drawing is, like, like, so Street Fighter that I feel like there's something cultural there that I'm missing. Yeah. Sort of Go Kenny. Yeah. Yeah, right? So I would like to know more about like we get a lot about their connection to Tagame and how important that is, but I would also like to know mm-hmm. like what are they bringing that's unique to the field or not to the field to the book? Mm, yeah, because all the stories are really different. In a non-interview context, do you think that what they're bringing to the book is self-evident from the comics themselves, or do you think that you actually wanted that introduction? I think it's both. It's self-evident mm. enough for me to notice that there's something there, but I don't necessarily get the. The fundoshi with the like the headband guy, like the stick, what that means for mm. them, or what kind mm. of person that's supposed to be. While in, you know, it might there might be like a American trope that I recognize more easily. So there's still like a layer of translation between me and the work. I feel, you know, mm-hmm. there it's that's fascinating because there it is a cultural layer, and we talk a little bit about that on the podcast. I actually just wrote this exact sentence. Oh, no, I ended yeah. up taking it out in the blue giant one but it's like there's a level of cultural context that comes from any manga like even manga that are set in north america is is, is north america viewed by a japanese author's yeah. eyes for the most part that is like localization can help with that and i think translation can help with that and i think there's lots of different things that and just you know exposure over time can help with that like there's nothing in this book that was a, is a surprise to me on rereading it because i've existed in you know, Japanese culture and gay manga and talking to most of these mangaka and Anne and Graham and Chip over the years, right? So for me, it's like, oh, that's this. But you're right, that's not in the book. Yeah. And I guess, did it, it, it did, and you're saying it diminished your enjoyment of the book. It made me want more. Like, yes mm. and no, I guess, in terms of diminishing and also wanting more. Like, I, I recognize what they were trying to do, but I think the book that I was hoping for was like a little bit different in Target. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, and not even that I knew I that think, I was hoping for. It's just like the preconceptions I'd come to it after us discussing it. Like, not to say that the essays are useless, you know, but it's just the comics parts were so interesting. I wanted to know more about that specifically. But I do mm-hmm. have one thing where I like put two and two together while I was reading one of the essays. 
Okay. It's when they were talking about English gay slang has anthropomorphic taxonomy for these body types, bear, cub, muscle bear, and otter. Mm -hmm. And there's a line at the end, apps like Nine Monsters introduced their own barnyard of animal metaphors for gay men's bodies, including bison, deer, pig, and monkey. Christopher, I don't know if you remember this, but like six years ago or something, we were talking about like the mask that I was wearing at the time. And I was like, oh, it's like a warthog, a gay thing. Is it like a type of person? And like you laughed. And we're like, yeah, kind of, but like, you don't want to know about that yet. And I'm pretty sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yet. (laughs) Yet. Is it time to tell? So Nine Monsters is is the gay dating app in, let's say, Asia, but definitely centered. It started in Japan, but it's it's widely used throughout Asia, Southeast Asia, actually, and East Asia more than uh, Central Asia. And rather than just like bear or not, uh, which is what a lot of the breakdowns are in a lot of apps in North America, there's like a whole range of body types. And Warthog, think like exceptionally sexy Danny DeVito kind of a situation. Awesome. <laughs> so Danny DeVito. Yeah, yeah. Danny. I mean, I'm, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, yeah. But Ooh. also like being any kind of pig or animal in the pig sphere, boar or animal, also implies a certain level of kink mm-hmm. with mm. bodily Ooh, okay. Excretions yeah. in general. So like, yeah, self-identifying as <laughs> as a warthog is like, <laughs> all right, buddy, like, you know, you're, you know what you're doing, I guess. But why yeah. couldn't you tell him this at the time when he was wearing the mask? I because... think you were at Comic-Con or something. <laughs> like, yeah, might not have been like, the right place or time. <laughs> just passing in the halls. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, hey, nice mask, bro. I didn't know you were into that. And then yeah. just kept going. <laughs> uh... It's fascinating, too. The Nine Monsters was brought up, of all things. Ooh, this is going to be fun show notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the show notes are going to be real word this week. The The essays, I think, are are an attempt to give you what you're asking, mm. but it's it's tough, man. And, and I'm not, it's not an excuse. It's literally just like, when this book came out, it was like the second North American published book of this kind of work, and I think the fifth overall, and the other three were just like straight ahead collections of, sh- of short stories with maybe like I think the passion had one interview, but the other three had nothing, like no supporting material. So there's a tremendous amount of work to do to introduce this, to just introduce the idea that porn can be literary, frankly, into the into the the consciousness, especially gay porn, which is still really taboo in a lot of ways, especially gay porn feeling featuring dudes with like bigger body types, which is what this is about, which is like a whole other thing. And, you know, we look at it and it's like, there's definitely been progress made. That's kind of awesome. But it's definitely not <laughs> equivalent in any way either. Yeah. There's still a ton of body shaming and still a ton of fat shaming that happens in and around the gay community and around people who look like the people in this book, you know, even within Japan. Body Magazine, where there's covers on page 37 in the Tagame, just before the Tagame section, yeah, mm. is, you know, guys who look like Body Magazine and guys who buy Body Magazine, which is were bought Body Magazines, it's been discontinued, unfortunately, weren't generally into the kinds of guys that were looking like the kinds of guys that like Tagame was drawing. When he moved to Body Magazine, I think in the, around a couple of years before this, there was a big pushback because he had to draw less what he wanted to draw and more what fit the tone of the magazine. It's tough because you kind of do want this book to be the everything and it's just not, it couldn't be the everything. Yeah, no book can, but I would have been awesome if there was a second book. Actually, I think, and I think that I at want... one time everyone really wanted that, and mm-hmm. for whatever reason it didn't happen. I don't know. I don't have any insight there, but yeah, for sure. We kind of got away from actually asking people what they thought of the book. Now that I think <laughs> about it, 
Sorry. Well, oh, David, David just stated he hated it. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> too much, too many words, too, too many, many words. words. Chipper, what'd you think? I liked it. Yeah, uh, much like Deb and probably everyone. There's stories I like more than others. Yeah, some of them I'm like, eh, I don't know, but the ones that hit, I, I think hit, hit hard. Caveman goo <laughs> is nearly perfect, right? <laughs> it's. Gorgeous! It's so good. It is. <laughs> it's, so good. It, it's it's funny because like I'm like oh like I I, I knew the name of that guy Jariah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you pronounce it? Just because I know basically the face of massive like all the clothing is just like those beautiful kind of airbrushy beefy boys, mm-hmm. and I'm like oh like can he do comics? Was kind of my thought going mm-hmm. into this because I'm like those are just like really good kind of over rendered static images i'm like that doesn't necessarily translate to a good comic artist it's like it's like a marvel cover artist like mm. i won't name names but who have you know gone on to do <laughs> insides you're like oh you fall apart on the insides <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of these guys fall apart on the insides if you know what i'm saying womp, womp. <laughs> so when i hit that story i was just i immediately fell in love the first mm-hmm. page of Caveman Goo doing his business and the bear watching. <laughs> the, the, the literal bear. It's, it's just such a beautiful page. And then the discussion afterwards is funny and charming about how like he thought he was impregnating all these men. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I just... I, I died. I died. The whole story. And it also kind of made me kind of come to grips with the role of fantasy in this kind of stuff. Because obviously caveman goo is not asking for consent a hundred percent of the time <laughs> with the yeah. various cavemen. And I'm like, Oh, I'm enjoying the story. But then that, that part just kind of like jumps out at me. But then I'm also like, ah, oh, but I'm a grown ass man reading this. And it's, it's like, this isn't going to affect my brain to go out and do these things. <laughs> like, I'm not feeling like, well, if Caveman Goo does it, and I'm like, in a society where all I'm reading, reading is Caveman Goo, like... His <laughs> <laughs> paneling is so interesting, too, don't you think? Yeah. Oh, no, it's 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 all gorgeous. Like, the, 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 the storytelling, the, the drawings are beautiful. Yeah. He's definitely very in drawing these men. Because the drawing of the one woman is like, it's okay. <laughs> it really jumps out where you're just like, all oh, these perfectly rendered dudes. And then like the woman looks like she's from like like a like a stock image book of a <laughs> sexy woman. <laughs> but yeah, and and it, you know, reading through all of Massive, I'm just like, oh, like it's all it's all fantasy and it's for adults and. Uh, in the end, I'm just I'm I'm fine with all of it as a result of that. Like, yeah, it's it's art. No one's harmed in the, the making of this. No one is harmed in reading it. It feels different than if you know we were portraying unsavory things in perhaps uh, Marvel comics. There's a reason yeah, the characters sure. don't smoke cigars in Marvel comics. But if these characters were smoking cigars in this, I'd be like, oh yeah, it's not like I'm going to go out and start smoking cigars. I'm <laughs> fucking I'm 46 years old. <laughs> Anyways, that 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 was like that was the highlight of the the book for me. Just seeing how masterful he is at comics, and I mm. I want to read more of his stuff. Mm. Like that's my big takeaway from this is I, I I need to see what else he's done. And and my question is, 
has he done a lot of comics? Because like they're so super detailed and like his computer rendering work is so gorgeous that I feel super, like super detailed. I feel like most of his career is probably just doing those kind of images because they probably pay better and they're like satisfying. Like an Adam Hughes kind of thing. Maybe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a great example, actually. Yeah. Uh, hmm. It gets into a larger idea, but I could say about Jiraiya, his actual day job is a graphic designer. He's a, he's a full-time graphic designer. What? And he does his, yeah, he does his gay manga work, both his illustrations and his comics and stuff like that in his spare time. Man. <laughs> yeah. What, yeah. What, but I have so many questions. <laughs> Going by what's on my shelf, he's got at least five books of manga five manga collections of like his his stories over the years plus at least one there's one art book that was published but there's enough for another one that's just his like for another two probably of, of his like beautiful digitally painted stuff but the larger thing is like it's compelling to make gay comics now there's a quote from chip kid in the introduction chip kid says when I spent time with Tagame-san in Tokyo in March of 2013, I was made aware of just how subversive and taboo it is to be a gay comics artist in Japan. It's perhaps naive to think that this book will change that, but by publishing it uncensored, we can at least try. Ultimately, I think these stories are about a blissfully outrageous search for freedom, artistic, creative, and of course, sexual. All these cartoonists know it all too well. There are many parts of the world today where this kind of freedom is not free at all. It's... This is the first time that any of these artists had actually had their work published uncensored without censor bars or whiting out or anything. Oh, really? Like dicks flopping in display. The Tagame <laughs> book, actually. Uh, Tagame is the exception because Tagame is always the exception. But Tagame is the exception there. But the idea that like they could not only have their work translated in English, most of these guys for the first time, but translated without censorship was also a huge, huge situation. And it's... If you're very repressed in your day-to-day, and if you read the interviews, you can kind of see that that's a theme, that not a lot of these guys are even out, (laughs) let alone out as comic artists. Almost everyone in this book is working under an alias, like a pen name, a pseudonym. You have to, you feel compelled to express yourself, and sometimes that's your kinks, and sometimes that's, you know, your romance, but honestly, the kinks sell better than the romance does, because people want to see the the good stuff. So, (laughs) I think that when you're like, why, like, how could Jiraiya, like, have a full-time job and still do this? It's like, because he's compelled to, because he finds it erotic and he finds it fulfilling and he finds it important to express himself through his through his artwork and it's like all these dudes are like that it's that like why does he need the full-time job like I, <laughs> like it's not the fact that like he has a full-time job pay and he... shit dude like they pay awful <laughs> they pay so so bad so so bad i feel like he could just was... do commissions and like make like 10 times the amount that he does you're butting up against a cultural thing yeah it's basically if you're doing hmm, if you're doing commissions there's it's a little bit shameful i don't know how to express this mm. but commissions aren't done in japan like almost are never mm. done someone might an, a mangaka might gift you a piece of artwork that they've already done some mangaka will take like a couple of commissions each year i know chip kid is pretty public about having commissioned a couple of pieces from tagame but for the most part these are guys that want to make comics and they want to make their own comics and not have any instruction there's a lot of people online that are coming up now that have come up in an internet culture where erotic artists porn artists 
only exist on commissions. Like if it wasn't for yeah. being able to take money to draw exactly what you want, there wouldn't even be a furry community anymore, but let alone like all of the other stuff that's going on. So younger gay mangaka, and this is like definitely represents a generation, like an older generation now. Everything one in this book I think is in at least their their fifties. Now oh, wow. today. Yeah, when this was published, they would have been in their forties. Like and that's you know, that's also a thing. But like, yeah, there are a lot of mangaka that are making commissions and there are a lot of people that do commissions, but they don't announce it. They don't put it on there like I'm open for commissions because it's seen as a little bit disrespectful. Same thing as selling your artwork. Most people don't most mangaka never sell their originals mm. ever, even though they'd worth they'd be worth a fortune. Like a like a fortune. You mm. saw what I was posting the other day from Mandarake, right? No, no. Oh, it was just that sketch of the Toriyama sketch? Mm. Yeah, please explain for the audience. <laughs> I was looking through the Mandarake auction site and they had like, they were offering some original drawings and uh, pages for sale. There was an original old Tezuka page for sale and it hadn't sold yet, so you don't know what the price is going to be. But there was an original drawing by Akira Toriyama, who did Dragon Ball. He drew Dr. Slump. And mm-hmm. the the final price for it was 8.5 million yen, but, but something like that. But when I did the conversion, and I had to do it several times to make sure I was putting in enough zeros, like I wasn't doing it wrong, but it was $65,000. For a shikishi, for like a sketchboard mm-hmm. drawing by Toriyama, 65 grand. And this guy's not, that's how, he's still alive. That's how rare that kind of art is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit, it's a little bit crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah. talking to her, and I know people trying to get into the art collection, the art, the art situation in Japan, and it's just, you can't. Like, it's, it's just almost not done. And sometimes it is, which is why you've got to save up your money and go to Japan and go to actual gallery shows because they don't make it online very often. Yeah, but, it's, it was yeah, kind of heartbreaking because I, like, I, I collect this kind of stuff, and that is so far yeah. out of my price range, it's not even funny. Like, that's a Tesla uh, right there. <laughs> You're gonna have to meet Toriyama Sensei in person and get him get him to do you a sketch. <laughs> It'll be good down payment re- on a retirement home money. <laughs> but that's that makes up an interesting difference, right, between the culture in America for comics and gay comics, mm. and culture in Japan. I mean, like half of the artists, they're you know are photographed in a very discreet way where you couldn't recognize them on the street. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's people that are still not out, like Jiraiya doesn't allow his face to be photographed because he does have that day job and he he is out at work but maybe not out as a gay mangaka at work there's different levels of coming out like they know that he's a gay dude because he's you know a single guy in his 50s that still wears this and but no one would ever ask because that would be rude but they don't maybe know that he also is jiraiya you know so (laughs) it's a thing just to give a little bit more context if you want to flip to page 35 there's a picture of a table of books Mm. and this is in um, big jim which is a gay book store and accoutrement store. There's a couple of locations in Tokyo. But you can see at the bottom there's SMZ, which is like a bondage magazine that's done in a sort of a thick book that's monthly that'll run comics in it. Off to the left-hand corner, there's Noda and GG, which is like, Noda is the name of a creator, actually, but GG magazine is like another kind of gay magazine. Then there's like, the row above that, there's Burst Beast and a couple of things like that. Those are collections, published collections of manga, of mangaka. And then you go up to the ones that are sort of upright and a little bit thinner, and those are doujinshi. Those are, that's like what professional gay manga is in Japan, is that basically if you can get a story published in one of, and this is going back to 2013, one of the like five or six magazines that was available, you're a pro now. That was it. A short story, if it was of a sufficient quality, would almost certainly get published. 
but most people would self-publish their comics. So a lot of the stuff that you see in the back row, the doujinshi and things like that, some of those are by people that are in this book. And this book is actually a collection of Jiraiya stories original for this book. Tagames is one that ran in a magazine that was serialized, and a lot of them are doujinshi, like self-published things. So this is actually maybe... It, it's an interesting thing because it's taking mini comics, essentially what we think of as mini comics and elevating them to a pretty, you know, book with a spine on it, that kind of thing from Fana. And that's like another part of this where it's like, this is some real underground shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. these are books that are made that are only sold at a specific couple of gay events that are held for Dojinshi every year in specific gay bookstores, et cetera, et cetera. Things have changed. Obviously it's 10 years later since this book was sort of put together and we can talk a little bit more about that, but that's the context for the work that's in here that is actually maybe missing, is that a lot of it was self-published. A lot of it was by people who had never really worked with a publisher other than like sending a story in, in the mail and then finding that they were, their work was in the next issue. So yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I don't know if it gives the wrong impression is maybe what I actually want to say. Does it give the impression that these are all like professional dudes who are working and making crazy money? Because a lot of them are, are not, at least not with their gay comics. I've read too many of these books to take it as face value like that. Mm. You know, like they definitely had regular work in these magazines they're talking about. And there was like the magazine, you know, like Iki or Shonen Jump or something else for other genres. It was like the exemplar. But I think only one of the profiles actually has the Dojinshi artwork, you know? Mm. Or, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, the parody Dojinshi artwork. Kazuhide Ichikawa is on page mm. 242. Because it goes tiger and bunny, something I don't recognize, but is maybe tiger mask. And then, uh, what, like Full Metal Alchemist, maybe? The Riot Squad Boys? Mm. Like, those feel like such clear references to me. Riot Squad Boys, I'm not 100% on. But, like, the top one's definitely tiger and bunny. Oh, the top one is definitely tiger and bunny. But the other two, or at least Animal Synchronicity is original. Really? And then Riot Squad Boys. Yeah, I have no idea if that's original or not. But yeah, yeah, that's like a whole series he did. It's, it's like basically a whole book. I don't know if he's done it as a book or not, but it's like he's one of the few creators that actually does furry work as well, <laughs> uh, you know, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it's cool to see that kind of stuff. Like most of my interest in Dojinshi is the parody work to see like, oh, how is this person going to flip this idea that I know well? Mm. And mm. I understand why they couldn't put a lot of that in here, like direct parody necessarily. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, like talking about it a little bit, I, I agree it would have been really good, like kind of setting the context for that, for the different types of gay comics within like the broader category of gay comics, gay manga. Mm. Well, Anne made a comment that, that, that she as a woman was not welcome in some of these stores. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That was actually pretty true. I was a foreigner. I'm not welcome in every gay space mm. in Japan. Like this is a... I don't think any of these people until this book came out ever considered that their work might be legally published outside of where they, where they made it and who they made it for. Yeah. And, and that's something that's really made plain here. Cause it's, it's, it's so, uh, what do I want to say? The word is it's so niche. It's like you're making manga to begin with and you're making doujinshi to begin with. And then you're making gay doujinshi to begin with. It's like you start, you just keep getting filed and down and further and further and further. I think the context of this is gay manga made for a, a, a gay Japanese, mostly closeted audience and everything that comes with that cultural context. Mm-hmm. Reading this, I only thought that Tagame and Jiraiya would be the ones that actually had careers doing this. Mm. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. The, the rest were like, a lot of them were really fun, but none of them really said to me, like, oh, this is what this, this guy does full time. 
Hmm. They felt they felt like just like yeah, dojinchi. Uh-uh. Interesting. I don't know that I could definitively say, but your the Ichikawa's was actually a dojinchi he made, but he's one of the dudes that's actually making a full time living now, just making yeah. dojinchi, and he's one of the dudes who's transitioned from being a dojinchi artist who got his work published in magazines and things like that. He was actually in every magazine, I think, you know, one month from like the big older dudes like Samson to the like SM magazine to body to whatever. Like he would just, he just change his style up. But now he's actually, he's got a Patreon, which we linked to when we did the comic. He's got a Twitter preference. He does do, I think he he opens for commissions like once a month. He does like one commission or something. Like he's someone who has definitely changed with the time. Whereas Tagame has gone into making like monthly comics with his Our Colors book mm-hmm. and My Brother's Husband. And then the one he's doing right now, we'll put it in the show notes. Nabisubashi, who did the one about, which is also, I thought, really f- well drawn. The one about the. My uh, yeah. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. That dude, that dude's full time making doujinshi and making, <laughs> making a living on it. But a lot of these guys have more or less, and some of these guys have more or less retired from making new doujinshi or new stories and are, you know, ne- since this book came out, which is kind of a bummer. Because it's just, and it's just down to there's not a lot of economic opportunity to make hot gay, you know, porn drawings without going into being your own boss and running your own business on the internet that a lot of artists are forced to do these days. Can I talk about that that story? It's kind of nuts. (laughs) What, the school hallway one? The homeroom teacher one? Like, it's like two panels per page max. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) That's what the people want. I I like (laughs) That scene on two eighteen where like he's like dancing and his dick is swinging, like that just makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, where he's just so feeling himself, and we see it from a couple different angles. That was hilarious. That whole drawing is just just hilarious, actually. I that story it was very funny. I felt almost out of all of these, the most pure porno. Hmm. like this is just like this is the situation and we're just throwing more ridiculous stuff on top of it things just because why not but it also just had so many descriptions of stinks yeah yeah (laughs) a lot of stinks in that one it was just it was that almost just became just a source of extreme humor of just the constant repetition too of the it was killing the smells Also, the first porn I've read that mentions like the Cowper's gland, like it was so clinical in addition to being. <laughs> yeah. 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 This is one of the things where I was like, oh, this is so specific that I realize this is a thing, but I don't know enough to re- like figure out what type of thing it is. Uh, yeah, boar. It's warthog stuff. <laughs> it's just warthog stuff. You, you wouldn't should understand. Know. You should know. <laughs> the, but the beefy guys in this one were so. Just the drawings were so good. Yeah. When he's yeah. bent over on page 226, and he's like, I can't hold it. And he's doing basically like a superhero pose, like the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so oh, much man. mention of the squid smell. Yeah, the squid smell over multiple pages was like, yeah. okay, dude. We like, get okay. it. <laughs> it made me glad I don't know what squids smell like. You know, especially yeah. not drying squid in like a yeah. tight room. <laughs> See, I didn't read the captions. <laughs> yeah, you oh, should probably not. Classic Deb, just visual. She doesn't read Playboy for the interviews. No. So classy. Yeah. But I really enjoyed Inuyoshi's story as well. The delivery, 
helper over oh, the Kamigawa Kun. Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, the gay bear was... version of Chobits. Yeah, it's like yeah, absolute boyfriend, right? Eye, but basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was cute. We're all showing our age right now. <laughs> We're all. Dating but just ourselves. the joke where he comes in like the Terminator after being like stuck in the box. Yeah, like I yeah. love that kind of like just dumb humor. Yeah, for sure, that was good. So let's okay. We've we've firmly established that this is a thing. And, and, you know, many of these it guys exists. are continuing to make work. New, <laughs> new generations have come up past them, behind them, let's say, in Japan. If there was a, a massive volume two that was all new Japanese manga creators, gay manga creators, that was like following on this and it was from, you know, people who are making work today, just like this was, t- you know, just like 10 years ago when this book was put together. Is that something you would want to see to see where the form has gone? Or are you just like, I've got my fill. I'm good on massive. Yeah, I would want to see it because this yeah. is a starting point. Like even with my problems with the context around it or the the specific context they chose to use. Yeah. It's still a great overview of the genre or category, but mm. I still don't know enough to like branch out on my own. You know, I know a few names to kind of Google, but they're kind of all yeah. in one family of gay comics art, I think. Uh, the mm. Tagame family. I feel like, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see a massive two. And I feel like, by virtue of it being a massive volume two, you would have less interviews in it. Mm-hmm. Like because a lot of context has already kind of been given and because it's not a wholly new thing because there was a massive volume one, you could probably get away with like maybe a couple of artist interviews at the back, maybe one forward and then just, mm-hmm. just pure comics. I think I'd, I'd probably like that a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Same. I think it's important to have it because, I, you know, within the boys love community, right? I mean, I think there's a there's been some friction that people misunderstand or misuse the term bara, and I think it was really mm, yeah. shocking for a lot of BL fans to discover that gay manga creators find that term outdated and maybe offensive. Yeah, you know, like the people who read boys love manga, they're kind of in their own you know community, right? And they kind of talk amongst each other. But you can see the difference between female gaze and male gaze. <laughs> it's fluids and dicks. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of, I kind of get like in the introduction the story of like Anne not necessarily being welcome into that bookstore. Like, I, yeah, I can, I can kind of see it if I was like in Japan as a gay man and just like you're just surrounded by BL made by women for women. And you're just like, what? Like, I want this space for uh, mm. us guys. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Especially because there's a lot of gay tourism. Like yeah. you're out in the gay district. There's a lot of people coming through because they hear it's a fun place to party. And you're closeted mm-hmm. and you don't want your coworkers to find you at a gay bar, especially on your own. You know, that kind of thing. So yeah. people are people very naturally within the gay community want private or safe spaces. Yeah. And I totally get that. It's it's hard to hear sometimes. And it's hard to hear that you're not necessarily welcome, even though you fit the bill. But yeah. you just suck it up, frankly, and <laughs> go to the next space. Because Every building has 30 bars in it. And they're all, they only fit four people. So you just find another bar. You'll be fine. At least one will work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, I remember even just like going with you, Chris, to that bar that one I night. I have no memory of that. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I always like to think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm welcome in any space I go into because I'm a white man. <laughs> I just barge right in. And, you know, I mean, like, yeah. I, I've 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 slept with dudes before. Like I've 
I've experienced life. I'm a modern man. But <laughs> but going in there as kind of like a married, kind of ostensibly straight dude with you, after a bit, I'm just like, oh, I can't be here. <laughs> and... <laughs> They were very welcoming, I got to say, yeah. because I guess they knew me. But at the same time, it's like they're welcoming up until they're out of other seats. And then you are yeah. in oh. that bar and not looking to fuck and maybe only nursing a Sprite. So it's time to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, you know, uh, normally I wouldn't call it a, an evening as early as I did. But I was just like, you were hitting it off with someone. And I'm just like, I'm looking around. I'm like, look, unless I'm going to cheat on my wife with a dude, I better get out of here. <laughs> If I do remember, they did have that robotic seal that you liked a lot that you were playing oh, no. with. But yeah, that was yeah. It's, it's not a not a code word like not a code, like, not a sex thing at all. Just like this adorable. <laughs> oh shit! We're, yeah. we're trailblazing here on Mugs. <laughs> That's right, Grandma. This is game? not your average Mugs podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ugh. yeah so uh, I, I, right. I get the idea of the spaces, and you know, mm-hmm. not necessarily being for everyone. And to know when and, you should be there or not. <laughs> and I think that they did actually a good job with this book of constructing a space that anyone who was open-minded could actually enter. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they, they tried to give as much context as they could. And I, I understand what you're saying. Like, I'm glad that, this, that the writing is there. For me, it was really important for my education about mm-hmm. gay manga, I guess. Like, I had learned a lot, but there's always more to learn. And... And going back to Japan multiple times and talking to Graham and Anne and, and Tagame and Jiraiya and, and Ichikawa Sensei, who've, who've all been really kind at sharing their expertise and their knowledge with me, like, I, if anything, I want more. But maybe I want a separate book that's just like a standalone yeah. Yeah. book of all the writing and the material. But it's not going to sell as well if it doesn't have uh, Jiraiya's story or a Tagame story in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So. I would just like a Jiraiya book, honestly. I would love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all would. Yeah, you can do an interview book with just like a nice dry cover, and maybe it's just a couple of like you know spot illustrations and, and bits and pieces throughout. And it'd just be cheaper to produce. I've actually got a couple of interviews. I wonder if I still have them with Jiraiya and Ichikawa. Maybe even one with Tagame. I maybe we'll throw it up on well, he, explaining. He came to San Francisco, right? He did a tour. Jiraiya and, and Tagame did. I actually interviewed Jiraiya in uh, Hokkaido, up where he lives. Actually, uh, that's a funny story. Jocelyn won't mind me telling. I went to Hokkaido to interview Jiraiya. I was actually meeting friends as well. And Jocelyn came with me, and I'm like, "You'll you'll interpret for Jiraiya? Is that cool?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, that sounds really fun." And he wanted to meet at a gay bar that we all sort of knew in Sapporo, because of course I have a gay bar that I prefer in Sapporo, because who doesn't? Yeah. And we called ahead and be like, "Hey, the interpreter for the interview with Jiraiya that you've been so generous to let us use your space for is a woman. Is that okay?" And they're like, "Yeah, as long as you're gone before we open." And it was just like very clear because <laughs> it's like a lot of dudes that come into that bar are what you might call blue collar, like not necessarily wanting to see a lady there who might impugn their whatever. Or Yeah, it's, it's really wow. a thing. So Jocelyn was like, they were very friendly until it was time to go as well. <laughs> like she'll pop up in the comments maybe, but I think she's like, I've never been so tolerated. <laughs> it was really great. <laughs> I'm going to ask what might be a kind of an uncomfortable question, but. Go ahead. Do gay manga cuff find boys love manga offensive or, or weird? Everyone has different opinions on it. So the the short history is that Tagame got his start doing shoujo manga and, and boys love manga. Mm. That was he was working on a different pen name, and he won't tell anybody what it is because he doesn't want anyone to go find it. But John Byrne. Oh, 
<laughs> right? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you're invoking the devil. <laughs> a lot of, if you're a gay closeted, especially a teenager, if you're a closeted gay teen growing up in Japan, especially in like the 2000s, your only access to gay culture is through like a very specific type of character who shows up on TV, mm. who is like, does not exist in the North American vernacular, but might be called a cross-dresser at the time, or might be called Okama, or might be called whatever. It's usually in a comedy context. Or like, Boys Love Bone Clay from That's One it. Piece is a good touchstone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's two things. And it's like, you just want representation. You just want to feel like you're seen, right? So yeah, you read Boys Love Manga, you're like, this is not right <laughs> at all. This is not how I go into feeling about it. This is not the life I'm experiencing. I become like a you know 19-year-old, 20-year-old, 21-year-old and start dating or whatever. But it's also the only thing that there was. And it's why so many people like Ichikawa Sensei, who did the last story on this, has been really well-spoken on this subject about like, he wants to make gay manga so that gay people like him see themselves in manga. Uh, that's like his driving force. And that's why he's persisted when it would have been easier to quit and go get a job doing something else. Yeah. So yeah, boys love, some people hate it. Some people see it as a necessary evil because it was, it was a, a huge wedge for allowing any kind of gay culture into the mainstream in Japan. It's really important. And some people love it. Some people are like, Oh, it's like, it's like fluff. It's like fantasy. It's like, I don't know, sex in the city or something, except very like it's, that's a, that's like a simile. That's not a, like, it's not exactly a one-to-one <laughs> situation. It's not real, but it's nice to watch and, and, and fantasize. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, people have very different takes on it, but I think everyone would like there to be more access to the market for actual gay people to write actual gay stories. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that still doesn't exist in Japan. I think Tagame getting his, my brother's husband published was huge because before that the ground had been broken by Fumi Oshinaga actually who had what did you eat yesterday as like the first one of if not the first stories about a gay couple an actual gay couple that wasn't a BL story that ran in a mainstream magazine about gay people being just like us and you know having a good relationship and whatever whatever right like Mm. That was, you know, she broke that barrier. Tagami broke that barrier. There's more stuff that's come up subsequently, which is really nice. Okura's That Blue Sky Feeling is like a, a YA gay book about, you know, finding romance and not being sure of yourself in, in high school. And there's more stuff now, too, being published in Japan. And some of it's getting translated. Some of it isn't. And some gay mangaka have gone back to actually do like ladies comics, Jose comics, ladies comics, shoujo comics as well, because there's more money in it. And they're still being their out gay selves doing these these kinds of comics so it's it's complicated (laughs) it's complicated (laughs) hashtag it's complicated Um, but it is not oh good the representation point you mentioned is really good because i think that like obviously i didn't feel directly represented by most of these characters because i'm smaller than the smallest of the guys in this book (laughs) but the body types and like the approach to drawing figures i think felt more of what i think as like masculine drawings and like say mm. Dick Fight Island, mm. which I also sure. like, like the approach in that. I traditionally masculine drawings, I should say. Yeah. I, th- I find it central actually. And this is, mm. you know, maybe we're getting into my taste, but it's like even the most mask, like burly buff dude in this is drawn with sensuality mm. is drawn, not just with hard lines. Like they might be in a superhero comic. And it's yeah. the difference between sensuality and, and, and not having a sensuality like to the, to the drawings of men and it's why Steve Rude gets, you know, 
called out in a positive way all the time for drawing like really good looking guys uh, or he did I guess uh, getting called out for drawing really good looking guys because he would draw them with a sensuality and a, and a flow and a movement whereas a lot of other of his peers would basically just be all hard edges right and save the the curved lines for very specific parts of a female anatomy <laughs> so yeah I felt like that about Alan Davis for a long time too Mm-hmm. Sure. Maybe Alan not Davis is a, a favorite uh, but, of many a gay. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Page 155 by Guy Mizuki has a drawing of a wrestler that's like exactly what you're talking about, where it's like soft lines, sensual. Hmm. I don't know how he got his boot off. That part's kind of weird. But otherwise, great drawing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he's missing a boot. The poor guy. Those are really hard to get off, too. Like, it yeah. must have been war in the ring. I bet you one of those teachers is sniffing that boot. yeah you're not wrong you're not wrong the only like more incredulous characters were the guys who got like wrapped up in the jump rope and when they decided to have sex they were suddenly unwrapped immediately (laughs) (laughs) i was like okay this is what we're doing got it yeah yeah well that one at least was revealed to be all a dream dot 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 but yeah yeah that was that was pretty great yeah There's another thing in Chip Kidd's introduction to this book that was talking about how shame is a big part of the book. And that's one of the things that like, as soon as he mentioned it and and rereading it again this time, I was like, oh yeah, everything is about like shame and about being hidden and about being found out. And it does add to sort of the non-con like vibe that Chip was talking about in a lot of the stories where it's just like, it's, that's a big part of, I think what gay manga was like at this time like there's still not marriage equality they're still not like being publicly gay i think 10 years later i think that massive two would look really different in terms of its approach to the stories it was telling yeah Mm -hmm. i was going to do final thoughts but i got one question first other than jiraiya who we're just going to agree maybe won this one (laughs) what was your favorite story in this volume i kind of already said but the my favorite drawings were definitely in the mr tokugawa story like the way he drew the men, the muscles, like kind of the stances. It was either really funny or like immaculately drawn, which are two of my favorite things. So, <laughs> but the mildly erotic humanoid helper was really up my alley. Yeah. Like it's so uh... dumb, but it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Deb, how about you? I will say that I, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the, the, the Kandagawa-kun, the housekeeper, because mm-hmm. there were so many fu- really laugh out loud moments with that yeah i gotta say though that the four panel comics won me over this time around just because of the the Mm. humor and the localization and it was like oh this is really clever i mean yes this salary man is obviously kinky and awful but this is this is funny (laughs) but i hear he gets it in the end (laughs) (laughs) perfect perfect Uh. chipper how about you what was your favorite yeah, Jiraiya is definitely like kind of blows everything out of the water for for me. Yeah, maybe maybe Dreams of the New Century. I think I think the gags work, but the 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 opening, the the Tagami Army one, I found really interesting and maybe want to read more until Chris told me what happens, and now I don't want to read more. <laughs> you really don't. Yeah, but but what I really liked about it, and now you know after Chris kind of told us what happened afterwards, made it even kind of smarter that. They put this chapter in because it just kind of gives you a taste of it. Mm-hmm. But also, it, it's the two it's the two relationships in such a short span. It's how tender he is with the guy who needs the medicine, mm. and like that's like 
that feels like a really fun, interesting dynamic to explore. Like the army buddies in love that maybe haven't admitted yet. And then the weird, the kind of the S&M thing with the army guy. Yeah, I found that really fascinating that those two were kind of juxtaposed within the same story. So, oh, yeah. So, I mean, it was, I was out of all of them, that was the one I was most interested in kind of seeing more of the creator's work. Hmm. So one of the things that we can do in the show notes is link to more legally acquirable work by these creators. And we'll totally do that. Maybe they're, maybe he actually, maybe Takami Sensei actually has started translating. Do you remember the POW camp book that I, th- I think, I, I mean, I'd have to ask him, I'd have to be, to, to be sure. And I'll put it in the show notes. Maybe I'll send him an email. But that story was actually scanlated, was one of the earlier books that was scanlated and put up online for free, except it was scanlated by someone who bought a, copies of the book in Japan and then translated it without actually being able to read Japanese. What? <laughs> nice. So Tagami told me in an interview, uh, he took my, my work. I've never seen him angry, actually, except for this one time. He's like, he took my work and he just made up his own story to go with the images because <gasps> he couldn't even be bothered to read the Japanese. Oh. And I was like, oh my God. Jesus. So wow. that is a thing that has happened to Takami's work. So if he's going to put a work in English and he chose, do you remember the POW camp? It's like, I could see being that being one of the reasons he maybe booked that as like a huge fuck you to everyone who read it, like a totally bastardized, terrible version of it that was done by a fan of the work, hard air quotes, years and years ago. But yeah, it's wild. Anyway, it's a wild thing. Anyone have any final thoughts? I feel like we talked a lot about Massive this week. I do. So I'm, I'm actually pretty good. I have the one thing that pulled me entirely out of the book. There's always one oh, thing no. that I notice. So I didn't capture the page number, but it's in the Tango Dake story. Mm. And it's when all the guys like turn the tables on the guy who's the Tango. It's basically the story where Bender gets a human body from Futurama and goes yeah. crazy. <laughs> Um, that's a great description of it (laughs) but there's a panel where there's four guys who are getting hard and one of the sound effects is Trump which I noticed first I was like (laughs) (laughs) but next to that is Brimp (laughs) oh my god which I only know from sex criminals because of Chip oh I gotta send yeah I just got the page just now (laughs) so it was funny reading this and being like page 201 Reading this being like, oh man, like I have lived a life. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck, I gotta send that to Matt. That's amazing. Yeah, I had to take a screenshot immediately. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this book, unending delights. There's always some, something <laughs> from some angle. <laughs> oh. And with a Zerm and a Brimp and a Trump, that has been our episode of Massive. Stay tuned after the break. We might even have a question or two. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Manga Must Reads, a new segment here on Manga Explaining, brought to you by Comixology. With Comixology Unlimited, you can get access to over 6,000 manga titles, including new, classic, and undiscovered gems that you can read online anytime, including the manga we will be discussing today. And that manga is Lone Wolf and Cub. Yes, the very classic, fantastic, <laughs> beloved manga that we've actually been threatening to cover, I think, on the podcast for a little while now. We finally have a reason. Uh, this is a book by Goseki Kojima and Kazuo Koiki. The English edition runs 28 what we would call bunko in Japanese volumes, like which are kind of bind-ups, like a volume and a half each. I think they're out in omnibuses now. I have no idea if that's actually done collecting or not. But yeah, these are big books. Uh, I kind of forgot that when I, when I <laughs> picked this for the first one for the for, for this segment. Manga must read. I think Lone Wolf and Cub definitely fits the bill. I want to go around because I think we've all read Lone Wolf and Cub before. Can everyone talk about maybe the last time they read Lone Wolf and Cub before we jump into uh, what we thought of it this time? Well, Chip, let's start with you. This is one that you actually had read when we first started this podcast and you hadn't read much manga before. Well, it turns out I read even less manga than I thought because I had not read this. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've only read the last Oh, like the last arc of Lone Wolf and Cub? Like the big yeah. fight? Yeah, I think I think Kagan was like, you gotta at least check out this fight. And I'm like, oh, that's really awesome. And then I just never thought about it again. And I was like, I read Lone Wolf and Cub. <laughs> Give me a red star, Dad. <laughs> wow. <did> the assignment. <laughs> Dad, what was the last time you read Lone Wolf and Cub? I think when the last volume came out, the, the, the Dark Horse one. It's been a while since I've read this first volume. I mean, I, I've read it over and over again. I mean, I've read the first comics edition version. So, mm. Yeah, it's been a while. But I, it's, it is one of those manga that you recommend quite often to people who don't read much manga. It's a classic. Mm. I was a Dark Horse guy. But I kind of can't talk about the last time I read it without also getting my take on the book as a whole. Well, let's segue so into can, that. Tell, yeah. us, tell us all about that. So the last time I read Little Wolf and Cub was 2009. And I read about 12 volumes in a week and a half and got super depressed. Yeah, like it brought me down like tremendously, and I love it and loved it, and I think it's because like I was so into the story that I was just open and vulnerable to it the entire time. Like it was telling like kinds of stories that I'm interested in. It's in a setting that I was curious about the uh, questions of like honor and motto and fatherhood and you know being a son and that kind of thing were really fascinating. So like I took like a big bite. <laughs> it was too big of a bite for me, so I had to come back to it later. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And space it out a bit. I don't think it's really a series that's meant to be binged so much as appreciated. It's weird too, because I actually read like, I'd bought a lot of stuff from the quarter bins before my taste got better. And I'd read, I'd bought some Lone Wolf and Cubs back in the day, along with some issues of Akira. And I really enjoyed Lone Wolf and Cub, but it was also like tonally so different than anything else that I was reading. Like it was so serious, like there's no levity and the jokes in it are actually just put there 
to like confuse you before somebody gets killed. Like the joke, like it's like there's the, the levity is was not there for me at the time. I think as I've grown up, I've started to see sort of some of the grim humor in it. Yeah. When Dark Horse got it and Dark Horse did these beautiful little omnibus editions now available in digital uh, or like Bunko editions, I would buy them every month and I would read them and it would be the first thing that I would read when it would come out or every two months or three months, or whatever it was. But after a while, I started to fall behind because it's a big thing to open up this book and read this like grim father's son on the road to like hell. Like we're just gonna we're just gonna murder another like 10 more stories about people getting murdered. And it's yeah. it just became harder and harder to read. So it got to a point where I was like, oh, I've like seven or eight volumes build up. Okay, I got I just gotta I just gotta work through this backstory because the ending's coming up and I did the same thing. I binged a bunch and it was too much. And I should say, like too much is a strong word because for some people there's not enough lone wolf and cub there's not there's not too much of it, of this is possible yeah i want to i want to bring it back around so this is a volume that we read today has 10 stories in it all of them between like 30 and 40 pages long each one a story of ogami ito and his son daigoro traveling through Edo era Japan, like it's the fall of the samurai, things are changing, Japan's in upheaval. And so there's lots of work for a guy who will just kill anybody for money. And that's where we start. And you kind of think, oh, that's going to be like a, is he a bad guy? And the answer is no, he has the the world's strictest moral code. It just involves murdering literally anybody who needs to get murdered. It's like a Western in that regard. And there's a reason I think, I think if this, if the print was bigger, if these omnibuses were bigger, it'd be my dad's favorite comic. But it's too little for him to read. He can't see the, the little pages anymore. But he loved westerns and he loved a lot of that Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon samurai kind of stuff. So, but the omnibus, the omnibus editions are slightly bigger trims. Yeah, they're kind of like Walking Dead omnibuses, right? Like they're pretty big sized. Oh, smart. There's a master edition of the last story, where mm. it's a beautiful reproduction of the original pages. Oh, wow. With all the white out and the pencil and you can see it. And when I asked Michael Gombos about it, he says, that's the only chapter we could get like that. I was going to hmm. say, that's wild. It is beautiful. That is wild. And so it was like a hundred something bucks retail if you could find it. And now it's kind of hard to find. Yeah. Probably more than that. But I always thought it was a shame that those this story was printed in such a small format because at its best, it's gorgeous. You know, it's just great storytelling. There, of course, it's like, I've noticed something when I had to read it as a binge, right? Which was like, blah, 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 scene setting. And then he meets the client and the client goes into two pages of very long, heavily dialogued explanation of why the person they want to get killed needs to get killed. And then it goes into like the setup where he, you know, die, you know they set it up and somehow they get killed or there's a fight and it's very clever. And then, boom, end, right? Mm-hmm. It's a feels like a formula. And then you get to the last chapter of this collection where you get the origin story. It's like, oh, there's more to this, isn't there? <laughs> there is. And I was really surprised at how little I remembered of the first volume because it just felt like Lone Wolf and Cub. Like I started reading and I was like, oh, this is exactly the Lone Wolf and Cub I remember. Until so you get to the the second last story where it hints that he was the Shogun's executioner. And then the last story where you get his sort of origin story. That was a big surprise for me. It was like, oh, right. There is a story. It's not just story, like one-off stories about killing, which I thought was pretty fun. Chip, what did you actually think since this is the first time you've read Lone Wolf and Cub of Lone Wolf and Cub this time well, around. Well, it's interesting because after the first couple, I was like, oh, okay. I, it took me a bit to get used to it. Mm. But once I realized, oh, this is like a TV procedural, except 
instead of solving a murder by the end, it's committing the murder at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> After, as Deb would say, like the long explanation from the, the townsperson about what they need from Lone Wolf and or Cub. So I, once I got into the rhythm of it, I was like, oh, this is this is actually pretty fun because because yeah, the whole time I'm just waiting, like, ooh, how's he gonna trick them? How's he gonna murder them? It's like, how's the mentalist gonna solve this? <laughs> <laughs> it gets really intense, especially at the end, where it's basically like, yeah, the origin story where he's like making the baby choose between like the ball and the sword. Yeah, he's like, this is great. gonna be your life, and you shouldn't have taken the sword. I should have just sent you to be with your mother and in yeah, hell yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's really really intense but i actually love the relationship in this oh yeah especially especially i think you're probably going to allude to the levity of cub Degoro. i think is his name yeah peeing on those guys <laughs> just peeing right on that guy i like that just it was like the chapter kid. page uh, and you're like oh that's a funny chapter page and then you flip the page it's like how watchmen used to have like the cover was actually the first panel it's like oh yeah no, it's, a, it's a baby peeing on guys <laughs> it's great as uh, like a so perfectly set trap to murder some dudes <laughs> yeah did you find uh did you like the episodic short story thing did you like the episodic short story thing or did you find it repetitive by the end well, the the nice thing is, as soon as I started to find it repetitive, then it stopped being the case. Yeah. Like, like, like as soon as as soon as I felt like, oh, okay, I've, I've probably had enough of this. Then it, then it kind of switched to that a bit, kind of a longer story being kind of shown to you. Hmm. David, were you surprised by the ramp up in violence that happens because it starts out in a pretty safe, like murdering dudes with swords, and then gets into some like really gross sexual violence and then taking on a whole city and then like the whole chapter where the like assassin women like it felt like he was trying it felt like to me he was trying to push the limits with every chapter to like get you ready for what was to come and i was actually like am i uncomfortable with this no you've already read it like you wouldn't have picked it again if you if you actually deep down weren't okay with it because it's like it's on the printed page it's not real life but i'm curious what you thought kazuo koike excels at writing these kind of I got to stop calling them midlife crisis manga now that I'm almost 40. <laughs> better, better phrase. But like dirty old men comics kind of a thing where it's yeah. very lurid. It's very lewd. There's a lot of violence. So I wasn't too surprised. Like I knew about Crying Freeman. And more importantly, I saw Shogun Assassin when I was a kid. The film that was created from chopped up adaptations of Lone Wolf and Cub. Yeah. So I kind of expected the nudity and violence to be like it was. But the quality of the art was what really surprised me. Like the chapter where Daigoro chooses the ball is something I've heard since I was a kid. It's sampled on a Jizza album on yeah. Liquid Swords. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. And it's so wild seeing it drawn and it being like thunder and lightning in comics form. You know, all the yeah. glares and the backgrounds and stuff. Yeah. Did you see the movie's version before you read the manga? Yeah. I knew Shogun oh. Assassin from when I was a kid. Wow. Yeah. It's weird. I never watched that as a kid. And so this was all... 100% fresh and I've gone back mm-hmm. and sort of started watching and then unlike un- unsurprising to anybody who's listening to the podcast I like the comics more like I think the, the the movies have a lot going for them obviously like there's there's it's cool but like mm-hmm. these comics I gotta say this time because I had read this three or four times I actually read this in guided view which I don't read comics in guided view I'll be I'll be honest so I read it read it one panel at a time and it is so cinematic like i've never read a comic that works as well panel to panel as i actually have this book where i was clicking on each panel and each moment felt perfectly timed 
Like it was, it was shocking. And I don't say this lightly because like, again, I think I don't generally enjoy guided view, but in this one, like, especially where you don't really realize it maybe, but there's like five panels in a row that are exactly the same size. And there's like an action happening. And then when you're doing it in guided view, the panels sort of load on top of each other in a way. And it's just, Mm -hmm. I was shocked actually how well it worked because this team is so good and it doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work because some people don't want to make comics that way. But when you're talking about like these action to action or even moment to moment panel transitions that you only see that panel and none of the stuff surrounding it, man, it was a weird experience. Honestly, it didn't work as well for the talking, but for the sword fighting bits, top notch, kind of dug it. Let's end off. Deb, you perfectly summed up the formula of Lone Wolf and Cub at the beginning of this segment. How did you feel about it overall? And then maybe we'll get a couple quick words from everybody else. Were you happy to read it again? Are you looking forward? Are you you downloading volume two right now? What's going on? (laughs) Yes, it's a, it's a really, I I think I like it more now for the art than I do for the story. Because if I look Mm. at the story, then maybe I see flaws in it, right? Like there's this one drawing where Daikoro's head is huge. I'm like, what? (laughs) (laughs) yeah i totally know what you mean like that was my dead ass moment where it took me out of the story (laughs) 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 but you know also like i started to be more like like, hey in some places daigoro is like a baby like he can't talk or he's like a toddler and he's in the cart and other ways he's like a five-year-old and it's whiplash inducing because sometimes he's he he can sing you know he's mute he's what i like he is whatever Ito Ogami needs him to be in that situation. But also, I think mm. Goseki Kojima makes these decisions on how to draw this baby, kind of like how Renaissance, like how medieval scribes would draw <laughs> baby Jesus. Like sometimes baby Jesus is looking like a middle-aged man. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> so that maybe bothered me a little bit. But overall, like, like those moments, like when there's that moment where they slash the guy, he's like, confront the guy, he slashes him. And then the next four panels are Ogami, Ito, and Daigoro watching the guy slowly fall. And you see their facial expressions change. Love that stuff. It's so neat. (laughs) Like Deb, like this is the blueprint. Basically, Mm. I love every comic that's like this, from Usagi (laughs) Yojimbo to Daredevil. So yeah, this is the jam. Chip, do you know my first encounter with Lone Wolf and Cub was actually in what the, I think, issue number Lone four? Lone Wolfie and Chris. Lone Wolfie and Chris. And I didn't know what the <laughs> hell was going on with that segment. But it was someone, an uncredited artist to this day, no one has owned up to it, doing a Chris Claremont as Daigoro in the cart and then Wolverine pushing him around and murdering people. <laughs> Black and white parody and what the, and it was like. I don't know what this is and I don't know why this is funny, but I'm going to laugh anyway because I am like nine or something like that or 10 or whatever <laughs> I was. So yes, that was my first Lone Wolf and Cub. This has been Lone Wolf and Cub Volume 1 by Goseki Kojima and Kazuo Koike here on Manga Must Reads on Manga Splaining. It's published by Dark Horse Comics. It's available now on Comicsology Unlimited. Go to the link in the description of or in the show notes if you want to check out a free preview. And if you're new to Comixology Unlimited, you get a free 30-day trial when you sign up today at Amazon.com slash Comixology Unlimited. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in just a moment.
and welcome back. Hopefully that was a fun break. We have a question this week. It comes to us from email, and we'd like to thank Tom Lake for sending it in. His question is, well, first off, he is very complimentary, so thank you, Tom. We really appreciate all of your nice words. The second part is the question, I really, really want to know, where do all you weebs learn this shit? Are you all on some forums that I can't find? Scanlation sites? How does a newbie follow the manga scene? What recommendations do you have for someone looking to learn more about new series coming out, reading thoughtful reviews? What are your own sources for info and news? Thanks for reading. No idea if weebs is the appropriate term for manga nerds. God, I hope it is, Tom. <laughs> well, Tom, I, I learned from these three weebs. <laughs> so I recommend just getting here. a podcast with three manga experts. <laughs> Start your easy. own podcast. Invite three experts on. Yeah. <laughs> Man, does anyone want to? I feel this because I feel like in the previous segment, I kind of answered that by like, yeah, man, you just take every opportunity to learn. Massive comes out, it's got text in it. Read the text, don't just read the comics. <laughs> um, How about you guys? Where do you get your, your long held knowledge about manga from? Deb, do you want to go first? Well, there's a couple of different great sources that I find reliable. Mm. Like on Twitter, I, I follow Manga Mogura. He, he's a guy based in Europe and he basically seems to subscribe to every Japanese magazine. And then he he's aware of what's coming out, and he p- points out what's new and interesting, and that's available in Japanese and in like German or French. And I find his insights to be really useful. Mm-hmm. Paul, I've I've enjoyed reading Paul Gravitt's books about manga. I mean, if we're talking about like what's currently happening, uh, Comics Natalie is a Japanese news website that has a lot of great stuff. Thank you, Google Translate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> of course. You know, my my former writing outlet, Anime News Network, has a lot of good stuff. Good news, Rainbow News, Soda News has a bunch of things. For some reason, and I'm sure you can guess why, thanks to the algorithm, this stuff gets served up to me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I <bet> it does. <laughs> so I I guess I kinda like you know, kinda keep my ear to the ground and then like if I see anything interesting then I share it on my Twitter and you know, and I, I follow other people who share interesting things and you know, I I guess it's one of those things like it just kind of like comes to me <laughs> and yeah. I'm interested mm-hmm. and because I click on it more comes to me. <laughs> you, should, yep. you should try it sometime. <laughs> For me, like much like brain surgery, it's taken years, maybe decades of study and like careful attention to detail and things like that. <laughs> much like yeah. brain surgery. But yeah. pays much, I don't want to compare the two, <laughs> you know, like one is a little bit above the other because it involves drawings. <laughs> But when I was a kid, I read Manga Manga by Fred Schott, which is kind of the overall manga version of a book like Massive, where it gives you like the the context behind the culture, like it digs into what the stories are about, what the creators were trying to do with their work. And it sort of lit a fire under me to find more books, the books, both the books in that one and more books like that, or Mm -hmm. essays like that, or friends like that. Nowadays, for me, mostly it's through social media. I really like Manovsky on Twitter. His name's Manovsky Article. Uh, I'm sure Christopher will put the link in the show notes. And another friend of mine. Hey, this is dedicated editor David interrupting handsome co-host David because handsome co-host David botched the recommendation for my friend S.D. Shamshell on Twitter. S-D-S-H-A-M-S-H-E-L. Like the Evangelion angel. He's got a PhD for writing about manga, and I've known him for about 20 years. We met when we were, I was in high school. He was 
no, no, maybe he was also in high school. We didn't go to school together. We've just known each other a long time for thanks to the internet. But he is a manga expert. So back to the episode in progress. But they're very energetic and very, I don't know, plugged into the things they like. And so from mm. kind of looking at what they like, I can see what I like. It's a subset of what they like and then kind of zero in from there. Doctorate in manga, do you know what their like thesis was? Like what? I used to, but I can't remember. Because it was. Yeah. I'm sure we can find that. Yeah. I'm sure we can find that for the show notes. That's amazing. Yeah, he really went all the way. There's definitely yeah. an an academic manga side. Like, a, a, yeah, there's much more academic writing about manga in Japanese, which is a shame because not much of it is available in English. But like, a, there was that history of erotic manga that just came out, like Kimirito that Faku mm. put out. I've been reading that. The the hist- like, think the origins of comics and manga. The, the, mm. It got nominated for an Eisner by Aiki Exner. And he basically mm-hmm. makes this connection between Jigs and Maggie or something like that. What's the, it's like a. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The early newspaper comics getting translated in Japanese in newspapers mm-hmm. in Japan. And that's, that's how manga was one of the key drivers of manga, like starting to have word balloons and stuff like that. He makes, he makes an interesting argument on like, it, it wasn't just like Hokusai manga and the, you know, the, the frolicking animal scroll and then voila manga. It's like there were things in between. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So That's he makes awesome. really interesting connections, and I, you know, I mean, I, I'm I love this stuff, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I seek out information. I think the trick is just to be curious and mm-hmm. to be curious but obsessive. Like I really don't know a lot about shojo, but like I can talk about dumb shonen battle manga for days, you know, because <laughs> it's like where my heart lies. But I'm still interested in that stuff. So like digging into it and seeing kind of what connective tissue it shares is kind of how I like figure out manga, like mm. math it out, I suppose. Mm. There's a lot of passion driven stuff there. Like he yeah. mentioned, how do you learn more about new series coming out, reading thoughtful reviews, looking more long, learn about manga general. Those are three different things. Mm-hmm. Those are like three different courses of action you kind of have mm-hmm. to take. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn about new series coming out, you do what I do. You go to Anime News Network and hit the manga thing. So it only shows you stories tagged manga because I kind of don't care about anime for the most part. And I don't want to know what's going on in anime because it's just more clutter in my brain. But yeah, that's that's a thing I would do following a couple of, of good people like Deb actually on Twitter who mm. you know generates lots of interesting content but also retweets lots of really interesting content. Yeah. I think Deb's is a, is a great resource and so humble she wouldn't even call herself out as a great resource. So that's, uh, <laughs> but yeah, follow Deb. Follow Deb on Twitter to learn more about everything. But I don't know. I find I don't really like reviews for the most part. I don't really enjoy other people's takes on something. If I care enough about it, I would want to read it myself. And that's, you know... This is me, though. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I've got like probably two Billy shelves full of books about manga at this point. A little bit on general comic stuff as well that I've like, you know, I keep reading them. I keep buying new ones. I keep reading. We'll try and put a couple down in the in the show notes as well. But Dreamland Japan and Manga Manga, which which David shouted out, are, are both really good. My personal favorite is that British Museum manga catalog. Yeah, the British Museum That's manga. That's one book of the best you... nuke ones. It's so good. By Thames yeah. and Hudson. It's about two, three inches thick. It's huge. It has <laughs> yeah, essays about book. manga, it has translated manga, it has interviews with editors. It, I think it goes, like, Manga Manga, from, that was my first man- book about manga. It was like, I read it in 83. I have three tattered copies of it. Nice. I remember, like, it was the first book that actually explained what I was only reading in Japanese at the time. Mm, yep. Because at that time, you, I think I could count on one hand the 
the manga I could read in English. Tom, I hope that answers your question. If, if you're listening to this, go check out the show notes at mangasplaining.com because we'll have a lot of links for things that you can add to your social media feeds or your you know wish list on your local independent bookstore <laughs> website or what have you. Yeah, thanks so much for the question. If you've got a question, you can hit us up, mongsplaining at gmail.com or comment here or whatever, and we'll eventually get to it, maybe. Shout outs, any quick shout outs? Actually, since I, I'll go first. I yeah. wanted to shout out Patrick Massius and- um, Matt Alt. Uh, Matt Alt just launched a new podcast, which I haven't listened to yet, so whatever. But Patrick Massius's writing on manga was really informative for me when I was learning and stuff. He wrote- Two books that I can reach from where I am seated, including Cruising the Anime City, which is sort of a guide, an otaku guide to Tokyo. It was the first Japanese travel guide I ever got, and it basically ruled my first trip to Japan. And it's, it in, involves a lot of writing about different cultures and subcultures and things like that. Patrick's been writing about manga for a very long time. Matt's been writing about manga and Japanese culture for a very long time. I can't imagine their podcast is anything other than awesome, so go check them out. That's my shout out this week. Who's next? I'm still in the middle of moving my entire life to a nice new apartment, so I've been doing Ooh. too much. But a Final Fantasy XIV update just came out that reintroduces the... This is going to be meaningless to most of the listeners, but the few who get it will really <laughs> enjoy it. It brings back a character named Hildebrand, who's sort of like an idiot detective, and also makes Ooh. one of the more fun like side characters into a main role. So um, this is my last episode of Manga Explaining. I'm just going to do this for the rest of my life and see it through. <laughs> just Final Fantasy fourteen forever? Yeah. 14 In an unfinished apartment? <laughs> nice. Chipper, you got a shout out this week? Nope. I, Nothing, eh? All I'm doing is working. Sounds fun. And, and reading, reading gay pornography slash erotica. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Deb, what's your shout out this week? And as usual, it's either manga or anime, or maybe sometimes both. <laughs> I I picked up a Lost Lad London. Oh, I wanted to this see is that by Shima Shinya. This artist mm. has cut up the art is very stylish and modern. It's set in mm. it's set in London. It's like a murder mystery. This artist also did a Star Wars story as well recently. Oh, so her, the art style is really neat. I haven't finished reading it. My friend Joe, who does Otaku News, was we were kind of doing a co-read, and he, I was like, "So d- does this represent London well?" And like <laughs> he read the first couple of chapters. Well, actually, we wouldn't say this, and we wouldn't say that. But other than that, <laughs> so it's kind of like dead ass and but blue giant for you. It's like yeah. it took me out of the story a little bit. But anyway, I think it's I, I'm going to read it through and maybe I'll recommend it sometime because I think it represents a different style. I mean, Lost Lad London, I think, is one of those manga that I think I like. I could recommend that people don't read much manga because I think stylistically, artistically, and story-wise, it represents something in between manga and mainstream like indie comics or even like image comics, mm. which is like suspense and mystery. The way that they draw the detective like it's a black man and i think it's a east asian teenager mm-hmm. this looks very i guess it's it's respectful and and thoughtful and uh, unique mm. so yeah give it a look it's from yen press cool cool yeah all right well we had some shout outs and we had a some sad Steve moments, but that's okay. Love you, love you, buddy. <laughs> sorry you had sorry you a busy sad. week, bud. I'm just, I'm just spending my time making money. Nothing wrong <laughs> making with all that. Making all the bat bucks. 
Curse by <laughs> no, success. No, 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 no. Yeah. That bucks. <laughs> oh, God. Well, this has been an episode of Manga Explaining. We ran a little long. Sorry, but thanks for sticking around to the end. We hope you enjoyed it. And we will be back next week with more. Thanks for listening. This has been Manga Explaining, episode number 68. Massive by various artists. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga All Rounder Meguru, Volumes 1 and 7. If you want to pick up a copy, well, head to kodanshacomics.com <laughs> because it's digital only. But in other ways, please consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. You can find one near you at comicshoplocator.com. And many local libraries have digital lending options where this book will be available. Check out your local library. You can also follow along with our complete reading list and show notes at mangasplaining.com and check out our newsletter and digital publishing endeavor at mangasplainingextra.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode.